everyone. Welcome to the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. Today is Valentine's Day. I originally wanted to make this podcast about love, how to love ourselves, our children, or how we love our family members, our caregivers, healthcare providers. But you do enough of that at home during the year. And if you don't, don't wait until Valentine's Day to show the people in your life how much you love them, you care for them, and how much you need them, and how much they mean to you. Do it every day. Don't just wait for Valentine's Day. So enough hearts and red balloons. We're going to talk about an issue that plagues the mind of everyone in the autism community, the immune system. Yes, I know. We're all worried about the immune system. But if you're not, maybe you should be. There have been studies that have shown a link between immune system functioning in mother and then the autism probability in the child. Studies that have looked at probability of autism in those whose mothers have had fevers, infections like urinary tract infections, and even viruses like herpes and influenza during pregnancy, which seems to increase the probability of having a child with an autism diagnosis. So common sense advice, talk to your OB about any antivirals you're on, wash your hands, stay away from sick people if you're pregnant, and get vaccinated. Just to note, there's been links to prenatal infection or inflammation with schizophrenia and ADHD. So this is something that may not just be limited to autism. But since this is the Autism Science Foundation podcast, we'll keep the data on autism. Although just keep in mind, it's not specific to autism. Okay, I'm done. So what's going on here? Do kids with autism themselves have altered immune profiles? And is it due to immune profiles of the mother? So far, the literature really isn't that clear, although there does seem to be a decline in cognitive abilities in non-human primates exposed to very intense sicknesses during pregnancy. But there's not a whole lot of subgrouping of kids with autism or mothers with autism in general. There's a feeling that subgrouping may lead to labels, and labels cause discrimination. But we can't answer questions like, what are the consequences of maternal infection during pregnancy, without subgrouping those kids, and without providing precise outcomes, including things like verbal ability and cognitive ability. We also can't answer questions about whether this maternal immune effect is linked to a more broad category of neuropsychiatric outcomes like schizophrenia, ADHD, or autism. So therefore, there's bound to be mixed types, symptoms, and features even within autism. This labeling isn't an issue just in autism, by the way. Schizophrenia has documented types. They are paranoid, catatonic, undifferentiated, residual, and disorganized. And they're all to more specifically describe what the features of schizophrenia are for better targeted interventions. Well, without providing labels to the subtypes, For years, a group at the UC Davis Mind Institute in California has been looking at children with autism from 2 to 19 years of age, which started with about 400 kids with autism. To tell you I remember when the study started would show you my age, but I remember when the study started. It was 2006. They subgrouped the kids, adolescents and then adults, by neural, biological, behavioral, and clinical characteristics as well as developmental trajectories. They've been publishing for years, and one of the things they were looking at is immune features in the children and then possibly in the mother. 
They just published a mini review that I think it's great, so I'm including it in the podcast summary, but I want you to make sure the basics are clear. There were 400 that started the study, plus about another 200 typical controls. They started at age two and were tracked to age 19, but of course, by the time they were 19, a lot of these families had moved, had decided enough was enough, stopped coming for visits, so the sample size got smaller and smaller. I want to emphasize to people, if you were involved in one of these longitudinal studies, try to continue. I get it. People move. People's family situations change. Things happen. But don't let the reason be just, I got bored. These studies change lives. So in addition to psychological assessments, questionnaires, brain imaging, brain activity monitoring, medical evaluations, cognitive assessments, treatment history, they also collected blood specimens. Since I'm focusing on the immune system this week, let's focus on the immune system part of this study. They found that 44% of the kids had an increased pro-inflammatory profile that was associated with lowered developmental scores, sleep problems, and aggression. There was also a 25% increase and a type of blood cell called myeloid dendritic cells, and those were associated with gastrointestinal problems, repetitive behaviors, and even a change in the volume of the amygdala. They also found that maternal immune conditions, so looking at the mom just in terms of conditions, they also found that maternal immune conditions, like asthma and allergies, predicted externalizing behaviors in the autistic children. This group also looks at something called maternal autoantibodies. They found that 8% of children with autism were born to mothers with an antibody that binds to the brain tissue of the fetus, leading to an increase in brain size. This maternal autoantibody story is for another podcast. It's very specific and it's very targeted, and I want to make sure that it's understood distinctly. For this podcast, I want to get to more of the types of what are known as cytokines or chemical products of an altered immune response, not just specific autoantibodies. So the Autism Pheno Project didn't collect blood samples during pregnancy, but other studies have. There are probably two good ways to do this. First, pregnant mothers who've already had a child with autism and have a high risk of having a second child, they'll give you their blood when they're pregnant. And two, collecting the mid-pregnancy blood from all mothers in a specific population, and then later figuring out who had a child with autism. The next study I'm going to describe did the second, number two. Now, how the hell did they pull this off? They live in Norway. In Norway, there's something called the Norwegian Mother, Father, and Child Cohort Study, or MOBA. It includes 114,000 children, which is about 41% inclusion rate. Now, if you live in Norway, you don't have to be in MOBA. You can be in MOBA, but you don't have to. Because they have socialized medicine, most women go in for um, their 18-week blood test where they look at various markers of a healthy pregnancy. About 41% of mothers decide that they wouldn't mind giving an extra vial of blood during that blood draw so that it can be used for research. So you go in for your 18-week normal blood draw, and since it's paid for, most women do this, and then you can sign a consent, and they just pop in another vial. Then 
Within the MOBA study is the ABC Autism Birth Cohort Study, which specifically looks at autism outcomes of those children. So not all children. For research in MOBA, they usually take a random sample of those with an autism outcome and those without an autism outcome. It's more of a population-based design. Those with a family history are included differently. So out of those hundreds of thousands of samples, not all have autism, not all were included in MOBA. But of those that did have autism, that random sample of about 414 were matched with about 440 typical controls that had both mid-pregnancy blood collection data and an additional group had cord blood that was, again, about 400 each. I honestly don't know what the exact system for storing cord blood is in Norway. In the U.S., you have to pay for it or donate it, but there may be a way to do both. But for this business... The idea was the assessment was done during both mid-pregnancy at 18 weeks and then at birth collecting cord blood. They looked at a lot of cytokines and inflammatory markers, not just one, actually 60. And they analyzed the differences between autistic boys and typically developing boys and then autistic girls and typically developing girls. Now, when I say they looked at a lot of immune markers, They looked at things like interleukins, chemokines, tumor necrosis factors, neurotropic stimulating factors, families of interleukins, which are linked to different things, which mostly cause inflammation. There are other things that suppress inflammation, but also have actions on other parts of the immune system. Right now, this interest is probably going all over your head, and you're probably just interested in the overall effect rather than listing each cytokine or inflammatory marker individually and telling you what it does and why it's important. So here you go. The results were that there were more elevations in inflammatory markers in mid-pregnancy than in cord blood. So the earlier during pregnancy, the higher the effect. There were also larger effects and more affected cytokines and inflammatory markers in girls compared to boys. In fact, there were 37 elevated in girls versus 14 in boys. And the elevation size was in fact about three times typically developing in autistic girls, but only about 1.9 times in autistic boys. The ones that were of the biggest size in both boys and girls were IL-1 and TNF-alpha. Now IL-1 binds to a receptor and its, and its biggest role is the regulation of the inflammatory response to infections. So were there more infections in this group? Well, yeah, as a trend, there were. This is clearly an effect where maternal prenatal exposures affects a downstream outcome. It's very unlikely that all of these would be generated by the fetus and then transferred to the mother's blood as the precursor of an autism outcome. I say this because it does happen with DNA. About 6% of the free-floating DNA in plasma from a mom comes from the fetus. It's a new finding. Does this happen with cytokines? It hasn't been shown yet, and pretty much all scientists who study maternal cytokine levels and child outcome, and there are a lot, have examined that direction, and it comes from the mother, not the fetus itself. I will say this. There could be a whole host of other outcomes from elevated cytokine levels in pregnant mothers. It's not just about autism, 
Other studies have shown that elevated cytokine and pro-inflammatory markers are linked to things like congenital disorders, lung development, abnormal brain development broadly, preterm birth, and neural tube defects. To the authors of this study, who are all brilliant, by the way, some of them helped build this autism birth cohort study within MOBA 20 years ago. My question is, can you look at the data set and see what other links these elevated cytokines and inflammatory markers are linked to, like OCD and ADHD, even schizophrenia? And can future studies look at the outcome of these kids with maternal immune problems as well? Can we link the maternal immune problems to immune levels in the mother, to immune levels in the child? Secondly, why are the levels higher and more affected in females? This may be yet another example of the female protective effect. Females and males may show similar changes in the brain, but only males show the autistic features. Females have a higher burden of genetic mutations, yet are less likely to be diagnosed. And now they have higher levels of mid-pregnancy immune-related cytokines, but yet they're diagnosed less often and it doesn't seem like the symptoms are any different. Now, this is an amazing study. Think about all this. First, you have to find the blood samples. Then you have to analyze 60 different cytokines in this assay, tie them to an outcome. And then they also looked at a machine learning algorithm to look at the sensitivity of different combinations of different cytokines and inflammatory markers and found that the right combination is very, very sensitive to a later autism diagnosis. It's not specific because they didn't look at other outcomes. And it's way, way, way too early for it to be at all diagnostic, especially on its own. But if you're a woman who has an AT blood draw and they happen to look at all of these immune markers and see that they're all out of whack, maybe you need further testing. Unfortunately, though, they're not normally done as part of normal medical practice. They did it in this study for research purposes. They didn't look at these cytokines for any other reason than research. It's too early. Most of the blood is collected to determine overt congenital problems, looking at something called alpha-fetal protein that can predict neural tube defects. That's the whole point of collecting it at 18 weeks of gestation. Now, I will say there has been a study in the U.S. like this called the Early Markers for Autism Study that leverages a common insurance provider in California to look at differences in mid-pregnancy levels of different things. And these include chemokines and cytokines, chemical levels, thyroid levels, and have found increased levels of different cytokine profiles in those with autism and intellectual disability. And this included IL-1 as well, which was found in the MOBA ABC study. So that seems to be a replicable finding across different countries. They also saw things like C-reactive proteins and autoantibodies to specific infectious agents. The bottom line is this. There is something going on in the mother around inflammation and infection that can be detected in mid-pregnancy that increases the probability of having a child with autism. It's tied to maternal infection. Seems to be more intense in girls, but this tie to autism and maternal infection or maternal inflammatory markers have been replicated now a few times across the world. And we don't know if it's specific at ASD, but it's certainly present in ASD. So now what? Well, my recommendations were the same as before. Get vaccinated, wash your hands, stay away from sick people. 
More research is on the way looking at triggers of these immune responses, whether they be illness or environment or even genetic susceptibility. But again, get vaccinated, wash your hands, and stay away from sick people. There will be no ASF podcast next week, but keep your eye out for one on a drug to treat the microbiome and GI symptoms, as well as a study that looked at improving dental care in kids with autism. Thank you for listening and talk to you in two weeks.